Okay, so today is the second sermon in our relationship series. Last week, we talked about our relationship with our, our father, um, the most important relationship of all, and where our identity is formed. And we talked about how we were made by God, like God, for God. And today, we're going to talk about dating. Exciting. <laughs> we're going to talk about BGR, boyfriend, girlfriend, and, and that kind of stuff. Okay, so click. <laughs> the clicker is not working. I'm very insecure because I am not in control. Okay. All right. Um, before, before we begin, we want to begin again with the Bible. Okay, so take out your Bibles. Waving in the air, yes, very good, very good. I see Bibles with pages, very good. <laughs> okay. Okay, so before we start again, we want to um, declare that, that this is the authority, okay? This is the living Word of God. It is where we find God's truths for our lives, all right? So hold your Bible and we're going to pray, not your Coke, your Bible, <laughs> Okay, um, okay. I mean, I know it's the real thing. Okay, okay. So let's let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Um, before we start today, I just wanted to spend some time praying, and let's just pray for ourselves. Let's pray that uh, God will open up our hearts and our ears today. And I know today's not like a really spiritual kind of topic, um, but but yeah, let's let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. So let's spend. Uh, just a minute, praying for yourself. Okay, let's pray. God, we believe and we declare that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we, your people, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And God, we believe that your word is applicable in all areas of our lives. And so we submit to your authority, your wisdom, your perfect plan for our lives. And God, today I pray that you give us um, open hearts, open ears today. That God, you will convict us of the truth of scripture. That you will transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we will be able to discern your will, good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you reign in this place today and in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, we want to take reference from this again, okay? Give each other a Bible high five. A bi yeah. See, if your Bible's your phone, then your high five sucks, okay? Okay. Um, you know, last week, you remember, we said we, we want to look, about, look, look at God's truth um, versus Satan's lies, Right? The word of God versus the lies of Satan, of the world, and all that. Um, we want to look at a biblical perspective versus the world's views, okay? But the tricky thing about today's topic, about dating, is that um, actually the Bible doesn't actually say anything about dating, right? Um, the Bible doesn't talk about being boyfriend and girlfriend uh, because dating is very much a modern concept. Right? It's a modern concept. In the Bible, um, the way you meet your spouse is more like it was arranged by the father or, or the family or if you were a king or a prince, then it would 
involve some kind of political motivations and that, that kind of thing, right? And in the Old Testament, the um, finding a spouse was really a, almost like a transaction, right? Um, you consider, okay, consider at the start, Adam and Eve, right? Um, God, the father says, Adam, this is your wife, Eve. Bam, married. Uh, it's like no choice, right? No dating. Um, but if you consider someone like Isaac and Rebecca, okay? Isaac's father, Abraham, he asked his chief servant to find a wife for Isaac, right? So it was the servant, the father's servant. Um, so Isaac, uh, sorry, Abraham set out the conditions. Okay, I want my son to marry like a relative, like one of our people. I don't want him to marry a foreigner. Um, and then the servant went back to Abraham's uh, hometown and he prayed, um, you know, God, show me a girl who will be kind. She will give my camels water and she will give me water and then that will be the girl that Isaac marries. And that's how he chose uh, Rebecca, right? So no dating or whatever, right? Um, and even in the New Testament, we would will, we will have read of uh, some married couples. Um, we know, for example, that Mary was engaged to Joseph, but, but that's it, right? We don't know how they got to that stage, okay? So if we want to look at a Christian or a biblical perspective on dating, um, it cannot and it won't be about specific commandments, right? There's no specific commandments or laws in the Bible about um, dating. It's not about specific rules. It will not be about a whole list of do's and don'ts, okay? So it has to be biblical principles, right? So principles that apply to us. Now, I want to show you uh, next the, the questions that you guys asked last week, okay? Um, these, these are the questions that, remember I had a little survey, okay? Uh, So, I will address all these questions up here, okay? Um, but for example, for question two or question three, I won't, I, I'm not going to give you a specific answer. Like, you know, what is the best, right, most probably, uh, like 30? Or I'm not going to give you a, a number or like a yes, no answer. But we will address these questions um, by looking at what the Bible says, okay? I will also address the last question, how to get chiobu. In case you think I'm just trying to be funny, here is a picture of the actual question. Click. Alright. When I saw it, I immediately knew who it was. But I shall not tell you who. Um, anyway, the simple answer to that question is... Ask my husband. Okay. So, that's done. Um... <laughs> Okay, I've addressed it already. Um, before, before we start, don't make me, okay? Before we start, um, I would like to clarify that when we talk about dating, dating is not a date, okay? Um, having coffee or going for dinner or watching a movie with someone of the opposite sex, that's a date. It's not dating, okay? Dating is more intimate, right? It involves some level of commitment or exclusiveness um, in a relationship. And we often call it being boyfriend or girlfriend, right? So that's what we're talking about today, okay? So I know some people have things like, oh, should I go out one-on-one? -on -one with Okay, that, that's a separate issue, okay? So today we're going to talk about dating. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about dating, but it has a lot to say about love, about relationships, and, and definitely about Marriage, click, click, click. 
Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about marriage, okay? Um, now, marriage is God's idea, okay? Adam and Eve, God's idea, God's design. It's part of God's plan for humans, okay? In the beginning, God created Adam. He looks at Adam and he says, it is not good for man to be alone, right? And then he creates Eve, woman. And then he says, for this reason, okay, for this reason, in order to be with a woman, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Uh, I now pronounce you man and wife. Bam! First married couple in history, okay? Um, last week, we talked a bit about this. Click. Genesis chapter 1, uh, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in his own image, an image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Okay, so... It is all part of God's plan. It's God's design to get married, have children, populate the earth. Okay? And you know, in the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Jesus, right? The bride of Christ. So Jesus sees the church as his bride. And, and Christ's love for the church is like the ultimate sacrificial love, right? The highest level of love. He, I mean, he died for the church, right? And, and that kind of relationship is described as a marriage relationship, a bride, okay? So, we see that marriage, the marriage relationship, clearly represents the highest level of love, the closest union, the most intimate and, and deep relationship. And as one of very few married people in this room, I can tell you that marriage is great. I, I love being married. I love having a husband. I love having a life partner. Click. Look at how happy he is that he got to marry me. Okay. And, you know, my, my, my relationship with my husband um, is unlike any other relationship I have, right? We are very close and intimate on a completely different level. And, and it's not just about the sex, right? Although that is great. But sex is, you know, it's something, I mean, which is what married couples do, Right? It's something so physically intimate that you would only do it with someone um, you are very emotionally intimate with, you are extremely close to. And the whole relationship is about loyalty and, and um, security, affection, love, grounded in and based on a mutual pursuit of Jesus, the highest love, right? And so when, when you are married, you have a common goal, a common purpose in life, um, when we make decisions about our career, kids, uh, finances, etc., you have a common goal and purpose, which is to please God and glorify Him. And so, obviously, you know, my husband and I, we, we fight sometimes, and he really pisses me off sometimes, but, click, seven years later, seven years, two kids, and about like 10 kg later, ha <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, um, uh, you know, I've, I've grown to love him in, in a deeper and deeper way every year. Okay, so we've been married like seven, seven plus years. Um, and compared to when the day we first got married, it's just, it's like, it's different, right? It's a deeper and deeper relationship. And, and like marriage is the bomb, okay? Marriage is, is like, it, it rocks. I love it. It's, it's great, okay? And, okay, of course, there's nothing wrong if you don't get married. Okay, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you must get married. Um, the great Apostle Paul was not married. In fact, he, he said it's better if you don't get married because you can focus and devote all your time 
um, to God. But, but okay, this topic of singleness, we will leave it to the young adults to discuss, okay? You know I mean? We'll discuss it when you're in your 20s or 30s and all that, okay? So it's not that you must get married, but if and when you do, it is, it's great. It's wonderful. It's a sacred union. Um, it's the closest, the highest level of human relationship. And so I want you to know that today, I'm not here to tell you, don't date. Don't get involved in relationships. It's bad. Because, because no, the marriage is great. Okay? I, I love it when people get married. I, I love attending weddings. They're beautiful events. My, my brother is getting married very soon. He's getting married just before youth camp. And I, I'm, I'm really happy for him. And I look forward to the day when all of you get married and I can attend your weddings. It, it will... No, I feel very old. Um, but when you, when you find your life partner and you get married, it will, it will be great. It will be great. Man, a God made man and woman in his image. Join them together to care for each other in, in an imperfect, still imperfect, but a beautiful union. And Jesus talks about, uh, he refers to Genesis again next. Um, in Matthew 19, Jesus quotes Genesis and he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made a male and female? He said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let men not separate. Okay, so in marriage, God is the one who joins the man and woman together. Marriage is a God union. It's, a, it's, it's God's idea. And so since the Bible says all this is about marriage, I believe that if we practice this modern concept of dating, which means we, we, we don't get our father to arrange the marriage, right? Choose a spouse and all that. Then, then one of the guiding principles with regard to dating, should be this. Click. That we date with a view towards marriage. Okay, with a view towards marriage. Because if it's not with a view towards marriage, then what would be the purpose of dating? Okay, how would we glorify God through our dating? And so if you're thinking of dating, you need to be thinking, how does or how would my dating relationship glorify God? Okay, so let's bear this in mind. We date with a view towards marriage. And then I want to refer to the three biblical truths that we talked about last week, okay? When, when we talked about who's your daddy, right? Which are, click, that we are made by God, we are made like God, and we are made for God. Okay, so how does all this apply in dating? Now, if you remember that you are made by God, you are made in His image, then you will remember that your value as a person is not dependent on your results, on your achievements, on your popularity, or on your appearance and all that, and you will similarly, similarly know that your value is not dependent on whether or not you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. And when you date, you will remember that your value is not dependent on how much that person loves you, right? Or, 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 or um, how many people are attracted to you, how many people want to date you. Your value is not dependent on how often that boy calls you or that, that girl messages you or whatever. Right? It, it's not dependent on what presents they get you, how long their Insta dedication to you is, or, or, or whatever, you know? And, and, and I know that sometimes it sucks when, when if all your friends around you, you know, they have boyfriends and girlfriends, and they're all doing like, all these like romantic things, and, and everybody's like, oh, hashtag relationship goals, and you're just like, oh, hashtag forever alone, you know? Um, but, but you have to remember that your value as a person comes from the creator alone, your creator alone. That the Father's love for you is enough. Because if you are looking for someone to fill a void in your life, and you know in movies, they always like, you complete me. 
You know, if you're looking for someone to fill a void in your life, then you, you'll never find him or you'll never find her because God is the only person who can complete you. And sometimes when you date, um, it, it become, you, know, become, you become so dependent on the person and, and then your self-esteem becomes completely dependent on, on the other party and that becomes really unhealthy. Okay, so you have to remember you were made by God, you're made like God and you're complete in Him. Because if you don't understand this, then you shouldn't get into a relationship. Because if you don't understand this, you will just begin to project all your insecurities onto the other person and you have very unrealistic expectations of that person or the relationship. So this is, you, you need to understand this first. You are made by God, you are made like God. And you are also made for God. And so last week we talked about how our purpose in life is to glorify Him, right? So, back to the question. In the context of dating, how does dating glorify God? Okay, click. 1 Corinthians 10 says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, so including dating, right? Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So how do we date in order to glorify God? Click. Now, we come back to this principle, okay? I believe that a dating relationship that glorifies God is one that looks toward marriage, the marriage union that God has designed for a man and a woman. Okay, because what does not glorify God is relationships that are headed nowhere, right? Relationships that are, are just for fun or, you know, oh, it's nothing serious, like a YOLO style kind of thing. And, and I know that the world's view is perhaps something more like this. Click. Ah, oh, the fonts. Okay. Um, you, know, this, it, you know, this is like, the world's view is more aligned to this, right? Loves a game, play the field, have fun. You'll get hurt, but it's okay because it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, right? This, I mean, that's this kind of thing that, that the world says, right? Now, do you know why casual dating with no long-term consideration doesn't glorify God? It's because every time we break up with someone, we practice divorce, right? Every time we, we, we break up with someone, we practice getting into an, a relationship forming an attachment, breaking that attachment, and then moving on to attach ourselves to something on, some, someone else again. Now, obviously, if a relationship is, is not good and, and you, know, you know it's not glorifying, glorifying to God, then you should break up. I mean, it's not a sin to break up, right? But if our approach to starting and getting into a dating relationship is that we don't need to take it too seriously, you know, um, if, if before you date, you don't think long-term, you just casually get in and out of relationships, then, then we actually end up practicing the concept of divorce. Breaking the attachment between a man and a woman, right? And in the Bible, God is very, very clear about divorce. Click Malachi 2.16. I hate divorce, black and white. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering. Because you're one flesh, right? So it's like, like cutting off a, a, a part of your body. Violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So it's, it's black and white. It's, it's, it's clear as day in various translations of the Bible. It just says, I hate divorce. God says, I hate divorce. Now, it's not the people, but the act of divorce. Okay? He hates, he hates it when a marriage covenant is broken. Because God takes marriage seriously, and He wants us to take it seriously as well. And so I think the first principle that we need to think about when we think about dating is this, okay? Click. 
that we date with a view towards marriage. Okay? It's, it's, not, it's not casual, for fun, kind of thing. Okay? Now, the second thing, uh, the second way that a dating relationship can glorify God is when it upholds purity. Again, the fonts. Okay? Any compromise of purity cannot be glorifying to God, right? Any relationship that leads to sex outside of marriage is clearly sin, and it's clearly not glorifying, okay? And again, again, I know that this is not what the world advocates. I feel that nowadays, very often there is this assumption that um, uh, once you start dating, especially among the young adults, okay, it's, um, once you start dating, you will eventually get into a sexual relationship, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're married, right? You don't have to be married. And, and you would have heard of, of many like celebrities or, or even just like people, right? Your friends um, who live together, they have sex, they have kids even, uh, without being married first. And they have no plans of getting married. And, and, uh, and then whenever you're not feeling it anymore, you just break up, get divorced or whatever, irreconcilable differences, right? And, and if you think that this is only happening in the West, um, I, I don't think so. You know, I believe that some of you would have friends who are sexually active, not married, but sexually active. And, and I have friends who are, who are dating, they're not married, but they live together. And so I think it's a, it's a reality that we have to face, that the world's views of dating and relationships are very often different from God's design for marriage and the family, okay? But the Bible is very, very clear about sexual purity, all right, and, we, and, and let's look at a few passages. Click. Okay, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honoured by all. Okay, high view of marriage again. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I mean, it's very clear, right? Any sex outside a marital relationship, whether in the form of adultery or premarital sex before marriage unions actually form, or homosexuality, which is sex outside male and female marriage, um, that we'll talk about that next week, is against God's plan and it's sin. It's, it's clear. There's nothing to debate on, okay? Um, next, next verse. First Thessalonians. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Completely clear. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen, people who don't believe in God, okay? And in this matter... No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, God says, do not lust. Right? He says, um, control your body. Uh, you shouldn't be in passionate lust. Do not lust. Lust is strong sexual desire or longing. Okay? And then um, the passage says, in this matter of sexual immorality... No one should wrong, violate, or take advantage of a brother or sister. And this brother or sister would include our boyfriends or girlfriends, right? And so, if we're dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, we need to be careful of how we treat each other, especially in this matter of sexual purity, okay? Now, there is a translation, the, the New Living Translation actually puts verse 6 as this, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, okay? Sexual sin harms others, not just the people involved. It harms others, okay? In adultery, obviously, the spouse is hurt. And premarital sex wrongs the future 
partner by robbing him or her of the virginity that should be brought into marriage. Okay, so think about it, guys. Your girlfriend will eventually be someone's wife and that someone may or may not be you. Right, so we need to be very careful of this. And dating with a view towards marriage doesn't mean dating as if you were married. Right, you want to be careful um, with the way you treat a girl who is not your wife, not your wife yet, and may eventually be someone else's wife. Now, if you are dating, you have not entered into the sacred bond of marriage. Right? Dating is not marriage. Okay? You have not made covenant vows to one another. And so, the person you are dating is not yours. Okay? Your date, uh, we'll talk about the purpose of dating later. Okay, next verse. 1 Timothy 5. 1 to 2 says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So you need to treat your brothers and sisters, including your boyfriend, girlfriend, because uh, they are your brothers and sisters. They're not your wives or husbands, right? You need to treat them with complete purity, okay? Other versions of the Bible would say appropriate respect. You need to treat them thinking only pure thoughts about them, being careful to maintain appropriate relationships, keeping a clean mind, a clean heart. Now, at this point, um, I don't know if some of you are saying, like, it's just dating, I'm not going to have sex, right? Uh, But I can tell you from my own experience and from the experience of many couples who date, um, one of the greatest challenges when you are in a dating relationship is to remain pure, remain sexually pure. Because when the relationship develops, and, you know, nobody, st- nobody starts out going like, oh, let's be boyfriend and girlfriend, let's have sex, right? But, but as the relationship develops, you get closer to each other, both emotionally and physically. You get very comfortable with each other. There has to be a mutual commitment to remain sexually pure. And, you know, purity is not just the act of having sex, okay? It's also the way you physically touch each other, the kind of physical contact, closeness that you have, the way you think about each other, the way you view each other's bodies. And it's, it's, it's also about the thoughts that you have in your heart and in your mind. Do you have lustful thoughts? Even if you're not dating or even if you're not married yet, do you have lustful thoughts? Do you watch pornography? Pornography is absolute deviation of a healthy relationship, healthy sexual relationship. And can I just say something about pornography? Pornography is defined as the portrayal of sexual subject matter, sexual stuff, for the purpose of sexual arousal, okay? The portrayal of sexual stuff. So, it's not just about like XXX websites or or, or naked people or whatever. You know, I would classify some songs as pornographic as well. Because if they are about sex or about or very sexual in nature, you know, there's like touch my body kind of lyrics, let's go all the way tonight, right? Or like the terrible Anaconda song, look at, look, at, look at her butt or whatever. I mean, a lot of songs could be pornographic. Or something like anime. Some anime is very cute, right? But some anime is really pornographic. Um, they portray characters in very sexual ways. Like, the boobs are huge, and the skirt is like, is it even a skirt? And, and as you watch that, or, or as you listen, or as you 
read or look at websites or whatever, how does all that make you feel? Okay, so you need to be careful about the, the, the things that you, you look at, the things that you come into contact with, okay? Because purity is not just about remaining a virgin until you get married, okay? Although obviously that's important, right? We need to maintain purity in, in every way, in our thoughts, um, in, in our actions, in, in, in what we look at, what we feed ourselves. We need to maintain purity in every way to glorify God. And the Bible is so super clear about this. Next verse. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body because there is a union with someone else. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Flee from sexual immorality. You know when Potiphar's wife in, uh, in Genesis, Potiphar's wife was lusting over Joseph um, and she tried to seduce him into having sex with her. He literally just ran away. He fled. Run. Sow. He just like, oh, I don't even care about my coat. Just run. And you need to run from anything that will lead you into sexual immorality. Because you were bought with a price. You were bought the precious blood of Jesus. And so you need to honor God, honor God with your body because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, last week I talked about how you can look in a mirror and you can say like, oh, I am God's masterpiece. It's biblical, okay? I am God's masterpiece. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, you know, I, I'm a work of God and His works are wonderful. I know it full well. And you can also say, when you look at yourself, I am looking at a holy temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because that's what you are. I am looking at a shrine. You are, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a place where God lives and reigns in. And so we need to keep the temple, keep your body pure. Don't defile it. I mean, there are certain things you won't do in a temple, right? Keep the temple pure. And in the same way, you keep your temple pure, uh, your temple pure, your body pure. In the same way, you honor your girlfriend or your boyfriend's body your brother, your sister's body, because they too are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you see, if we want to glorify God in our dating relationship, then we have to, number one, date with a view towards marriage, okay? Um, if we date with marriage in mind, then we, do, we wouldn't date casually. We wouldn't date like it's a game or it's a, an achievement to have a long list of ex-lovers. We wouldn't date um, just like getting in and out of relationships, Okay, so we date with a view towards marriage. And number two, we would remain sexually pure. We would pursue purity in every way while dating because sex and sexuality is reserved for marriage only. Okay, so with these two guiding principles in mind, I now would like to address your questions, okay? And I, I won't be giving you like Bible commandments or truths, but more like uh, godly wisdom, okay? So you can and you should Discuss all this more with your CGLs, your parents. You know, you should seek God about it. Read the Bible more for yourself, um, um, for personal conviction. But, but let's, uh, let's start. Let's get a start on it today, okay? So, number one, why do people date? Now, it's a very simple answer. The purpose of dating is to determine whether two people should get married. Okay? That's the purpose of dating. 
Because for most of us, I would believe, we no longer rely on our fathers to choose uh, a spouse for us and arrange our marriage, right? So it's not just for fun. Uh, it's not just for the experience. We date not just to feel good about ourselves or to post like some bay pics on Insta, right? It's, it's to decide, determine whether you're going to marry that person, okay? Um, click next one. Now, the great prize in marriage is Christ-centered intimacy, right? But in dating, the great prize is clarity, okay? So that's the point of dating. It's for clarity. Clarity on whether or not this person is the one that we should marry, okay? Now, in our efforts to attain this clarity, we will naturally develop some form of intimacy, right? So in, 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 as, we div- uh, as we seek clarity, we will determine intimacy, but we shouldn't rush into that intimacy. And we need to be clear that clarity is the main thing that we pursue, not intimacy, okay? So in a dating relationship, we want to be clear first before we are close, And so when you date, there needs to be, um, you you need to have an intentional and outspoken commitment with one another that as Christians, intimacy before marriage is dangerous. It it, it is dangerous, okay? But clarity is important. You want to know if this is the one. And and intimacy before marriage is dangerous. And the greatest danger of of dating is giving parts of our hearts and our lives and sharing all that to someone to whom we are not married. It's a risk. Right? It's a risk because you may not end up marrying him or her. And it is a significant risk. And, and many people have deep and lasting wounds from relationships because they enjoyed this emotional or, or physical closeness or, or both first without the lasting durable commitment of marriage. That's why the wounds are always so deep. Okay? And so intimacy, whether it is sexual or spiritual, emotional, physical, Intimacy is safest in the context of marriage. That's the safest place to be intimate. And so we, we, we date in order to find out if this person uh, is the person we should marry. And so we date focusing on clarity rather than intimacy. Okay, so that's the purpose. Why do we date? To find out whether we should marry that person. All right? Next question. What is the best, right, most appropriate age to start dating? For my daughters, it is 26. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. I, ho- I hope they never date. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. Um, now, if we date with a view towards marriage, what is the right age? I would say that the right age is when you're ready to get married soon. Okay? Because if you start a dating relationship at, for example, 14, okay, um, the earliest you can get married, right? You're financially independent and, and all that. Um, and, you know, you're legal, <laughs> Uh, the earliest stage, age you can get married is maybe in your early 20s, right? Um, the boys need to be done with NS, uh, your tertiary education, and then you, you, you should probably get a job, right? Be financially independent. And so for a guy that may be when you're around 23, 24, earliest, so do you plan to date for 10 years, committed to remaining sexually pure and, and, you know, and all that for, for 10 years? It's, it's very tough. It's very, very tough. Me and my husband, we dated for five years. It was way too long. I, I, I'm not even kidding. It was, it was, it was very long. Um, and so I'm not going to tell you what exactly is the right age. 
Because, because, you know, TBH, I feel some people can be like 24 and still not ready to get married. Um, but if dating should lead to marriage, then it doesn't really make sense to start so early. Because then you have such a long runway to date for. Click. Um, Song of Songs says, you know, Song of Songs is like the book about marital love. Um, it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And this verse is repeated two times. It, it appears three times in Song of Songs. Right? The Bible tells us that there, there is no need to actively seek out love when the timing is not right or when you're not ready. So don't stir up. There's no need to stir up love before the proper time. And there's no need to excite love until you're ready. Okay? Next question. What happens if we like a non-believer? Now, if you are dating with a view towards marriage, then you need to think about whether you want to marry a non-believer. Okay? I'm sure you have ever seen this verse. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with... Yeah, yeah, nice, right? Do not, be, <laughs> do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Okay. Do you get it? Okay. <laughs> now, what does unequally yoked mean? Okay, click. A yoke is a wooden bar that joins two oxen together, okay? Uh, and and, and they, it joins the two oxen and it joins them to liter the burden, the, lit the literal burden that they are pulling, okay? So that burden could be a wagon or very often it's a plow to plow the fields, right? So if you look at a the pig, they are pretty much chained together, right? They are bound up together. And this is the yoke that this verse talks about. The phrase yoked in this verse, um, has been translated in, in other versions as bound, forming an alliance or a partnership, teaming up, joining together, okay? And we've talked about how marriage is the closest union, the highest level of relationship, highest level of partnership, joining together. And, and, and you know what happens when oxen are unequally yoked? Okay, so unequally yoked for oxen would mean something like maybe one ox is stronger much stronger and the other ox is weaker. Or it could be one ox is like much bigger or taller and the other one is much shorter, right? And so the weaker or the shorter oxen would, would walk sl uh, more slowly, right? It would be slower than the taller one. And, and the pulling would just be unproductive because like you, you, you pull in one direction and you're like, oh, can I catch up? And that kind of thing, right? It would just be unproductive. Um, and instead of working together, they would be working at odds with each other. And that's what happens when you are unequally yoked. When you are unequally yoked with a non-believer, it would be pretty unproductive because your goals and your priorities and, and you know, your, 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 what, what you view as important in life would be at odds. Because one would be, oh, God is my priority and the other one is, I don't know, it could be anything else, right? If you don't have God. And so if you are dating with a view towards marriage and the Bible says do not be unequally yoked, with unbelievers, what does that mean about dating non-believers? I think it's pretty clear, okay? Next question. How do you know that the person is the right person? Okay, click. People always ask, how do I find the one? How do I know that he or she is the one? 
By the way, do y'all watch the final one? On Sun? No? No, nobody watches TV. Okay. Um, now, if you're looking for the one, okay, I believe that we attract people who are like us. Okay? We attract people who are like us. Now, is that an encouraging thought or a sobering thought? Okay? Think about this. And I don't mean that you attract people who are exactly the same as you, but I believe that you attract people who are very similar in core ways, okay? So, my husband and I are very different externally, okay? He is like super extrovert. I am like super introvert, okay? He's like outdoors guy. I'm like, I just want to stay at home, okay? Um, you know, he's like sports, you know, I'm like reading, uh, you know? So, we're, we're very different. Um, sort of like externally, we're, we're very different. But in some core ways, we are very similar. We both don't really care what people think about us, which may be good and bad depending on the circumstances, okay? And, and for both of us, uh, one way that we're very similar is our, our family is very important to us. Um, not just like our kids now, but like our parents, our siblings, um, they're very important to us, okay? Uh, very close to our family. And, and of course, what, what's important to us is that um, being grounded in God versus the world is very important to us. And, and, and I really believe that in general, we attract people who are like us, um, whether in friendships or in dating. And, and, you know, we cannot believe the myth that when you meet the one, everything in life will be all right. You know, it'll be like, oh, hearts and chip, 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 birds and whatever all around, you know. Everything in life will be all right. Because only Jesus can fix all the crap in your life. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend. And so I think the right, person to, right question to ask ourselves is not, how do I find the one? But, click, how do I become the one? Okay, how do I become the right person? Okay, so you need to ask yourself, am I, you know, am I growing in the Lord? Am I reading my Bible? Am I serving in church? Am I, am I growing spiritually? Am I becoming the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. Do you get it? Am I becoming the person, the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? Okay? Am I becoming that person? And instead of trying to find the right person, we should focus on allowing God to transform us and grow us and make us the right person. Instead of waiting for the one, we focus on becoming and preparing to be the one. And our prayer should be not, God, find me a girlfriend or find me a boyfriend, but God, make me the person you have called me to be so that I can attract the person you have called me to be with. Okay? God, make me the person you have called me to be so that I can attract the person you have called me to be with. Alright? So, so that. That is our focus, okay, if you're thinking about the one. Okay, next question. Is it wrong to kiss before you marry? Can we kiss on the lips before marriage? Okay, this is tricky. Hmm. Now, we've talked about purity, okay, sexual purity. Now, I believe this, okay. If anything about the relationship causes you to compromise on purity and leads you into sex outside of marriage, even or it leads you into sexual thoughts, or it leads you into lust, then you want to consider, does this glorify God? How does this glorify God? 
And so I don't want to give you a direct answer like, yes, you can kiss, or no, you cannot kiss, or you can kiss on the cheek, but not on the lips. Because then what about like the hands or the nose? Like, can you kiss the shoulder? Can, you know, like, can you put your arm around him or her? Can you like rest your head on the, you know, it's like, there's, there's no end, right, to, to specifics. Like, can you touch their knee? And so, you know, purity is not about a specific act or very specific physical boundaries like anything above this zone. You can, it's not. It can't be. And, and pursuing purity um, requires discipline. It requires restraint. It requires abstinence from activities that don't promote holiness. Okay? So it's not about a specific, like, where can you kiss? Um, but, but the idea of purity, okay, click. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, okay, he said, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you see, it's not just about the act of having sex with that woman, right? It, it's, it's about what goes on in your heart. Is it pure? Is the motivation pure? And then Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. So extreme, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And the principle is really this, that if anything, any action, whether it's kissing or if it's just like your elbow touching her ear or whatever, if anything causes you to sin, then stop it and don't do it. It's a very simple principle. Okay? It's not about the specific rules or boundaries, but if anything causes you to sin, if anything leads you to compromise your purity, then don't do it. Stop it. Okay? Okay, next question. This is very complicated. Okay. How do we continue an undivided devotion to God without compromise when we enter into a dating relationship and still love our partner completely? Why? It's just a complicated question. Okay. Now, yeah, what? Exactly, Daryl. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the question, the question is, when you're in a dating relationship, right, um, you, you're supposed to love the partner, right? You love your partner, but how do we continue in undivided devotion to God, right? Now, I want to tell you that it's not mutually exclusive. Um, by the way, this is a before you date sermon, but this is a when you are dating question. So I will leave it to Pastor Chiming and... Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, Okay. Now, I think that when you are in a dating relationship and there is, uh, there is, there is mutual edification and encouragement to pursue God, um, then the relationship will help you grow spiritually, right? It will help you become more loving. It will help you to display God's love more. It will help you become more selfless. Very often, it will help you to become more patient. Um, and that, that is part of glorifying God. That is part of devotion to God. Because we can't say... Um, undivided devotion to God doesn't mean cutting yourself off from every human relationship, right? It, it doesn't mean that, okay? And so just like the more we love God, the more we would love the people around us. In the same way, the more we love the people around us, then the more we glorify God. And so that kind of principle applies to your girlfriend, right? The more, or your boyfriend. The more you love God, the more you can love an imperfect person. You know, when you're da- now, sometimes I feel like when you're dating it, like, it brings out the worst in you because, because you're so like, close to the person and then you just like, let your guard down and you just become like, the beast you really are inside. You know? um, and, and, and that's where patience develops and uh, you know, unconditional love develops. 
Um, and so just like the more we love God, the more we are able to love imperfect people, the more we are able to love people around us, then the more we glorify God. Okay? And so I think it applies in dating relationships just as it applies in normal friendships. Okay? Finally, last question, how to get shirobu. We have already addressed that. Okay. Now, I hope that um, all I've shared so far is, is, is helpful and relevant and answers your question. Um, I'm sure that many of your friends have boyfriends or girlfriends, but I am assuming and believing <laughs> that the majority of people here have not started dating. Okay? Um, but I want you to know that it's normal and it's natural for you to start thinking about this as a teenager, right? And I think that it's really important that we approach life, all life issues, with a biblical perspective. And this sermon is called Before, Before You Date, right? Because I, I actually want you to think through all this before you enter into a relationship. Because when you are actually in a relationship, it, it's sometimes very hard to be rational, logical, objective, um, and, and really, really focus on what God is saying or the clarity of what God is saying because you are so emotionally involved already. And so I hope that you really think about all that has been said. And, and, and can I just add that whenever you are thinking about entering into a relationship, it would be a very good move to talk to someone older and wiser and be accountable like your CGLs or your parents or your pastor about it. I, I think it's, it's, um, there is community for a purpose, Okay. Now, I want to end by looking at a Bible passage. Okay, turn with me in your Bibles to Judges 13. This is the story of Samson. Very good. Now, the story of Samson spans um, four chapters. Okay, it's, it's a long story. I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but I will give you a short summary. Okay, so turn to Judges 13. Okay, so in Judges 13, uh, we read that before Samson was born, an angel appeared to his mom and, he, and, and said this. Can you click? Okay. Okay, Judges 13. Um, the angel says, God is going to give you a son and you can't cut his hair ever. Okay? Because this boy is going to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines, their enemies, okay? Now, you can read in Numbers chapter 6 about the Nazarites, okay? So, a Nazarite was someone who had taken the Nazarite vow, a vow of separation, okay? That's why Samson was said to be set apart, okay? Set apart and separated, right? Set apart to God, total consecration, complete dedication to God. Um, and Nazarites, they didn't drink wine, they didn't drink any fermented drink. They didn't even drink grape juice. As long as it has a trace of grape in it, they don't drink it. Okay? Um, and, and they didn't cut their, they never cut their hair. They just let it grow, let it grow. <laughs> okay? Um, they, they never cut their hair. Okay? So, so the first thing is uh, they, they didn't drink wine. Okay? Second thing, they never cut their hair. Third thing is that even if their mother or their father or their sibling died, they cannot go near the dead body. Because once you go near a dead body, you are ceremonially unclean. Okay? So these are the three kind of like defining marks of, of, of a Nazarite. And so for Nazarites, it's like, it's like hardcore holiness. Okay? It was like, 
10 upon 10 legit separation from the world. Okay, total consecration. And other Nazarites in the Bible would include uh, John the Baptist, okay, or uh, the prophet Samuel. Remember the prophet Samuel, he was dedicated to the, uh, uh, to the Lord uh, by his mom. I dedicate him fully to the Lord. Okay, so this is Samson, Samson the Nazarite. He was born and he grew. And the Bible says that, that the Lord blessed him and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him and, and began working in him. And Samson, I mean, we all know, right? Samson is like, he's basically like ultimate warrior, right? He's like, like some MMA fighter champion. He is like, he's a beast, okay? Samson was a beast. Figuratively, um, you know, there's, there's a part where there's, there's a lion that comes roaring towards him and, and Judges 14, 6 says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, click, so that Samson tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Beast. Okay, so this, 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 this is Samson, all right? He was like a really strong, aggressive fighter and, and he was like, he picked fights, okay? He picked, you gotta just read those four, four chapters. He would like pick fights with the Philistines, you know, he would just like troll them, you know, and, and he would win, okay? Um, you know, once he was tied up with ropes, he just like broke the ropes as if there's nothing and then, and then he just, oh, grab this, what's this? A donkey's jawbone, I'm gonna use it and kill 1,000 people, okay? It's just like, yeah, like a boss, right? So Samson, Samson was a beast, okay? He was, he was crazy strong, he had supernatural strength and, and he won all these amazing victories because the Spirit of the Lord was with him. Because he was a Nazarite, he was set apart to God. Unfortunately, Samson had a terrible weakness. Women. Okay? He, he, he had a terrible weakness. Now, if you look at Judges 14, um, just the start of Judges 14, it says, uh, Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his mother and father, I have seen a Philistine woman, now get her for me. That's my wife. Okay, so he just, he just saw this woman. I presume she was hot uh, because he saw her and then he told his parents, get her for me as my wife. And his parents tried to tell him, come on, can't you, like, can't you choose from among our people? You know, why must you choose from these uncircumcised Philistines? Because the Philistines were their enemies, right? But Samson was like, get her for me. Verse 3, get her for me. She's the right one. She's the one. Okay. And so, so there was a wedding, and there was this thing at his wedding. You know, he's, he's, a, he's quite a troll, right? He, he asked the Philistines this riddle, and then they couldn't answer the riddle. And so they asked his wife to find out the answer. And look at verse 16. Judges 14, 16. So she threw herself on him, sobbing. Tears, the great female weapon. It can conquer the strongest men. And she said, you hate me. You don't really love me. This is classic, um, classic female weapon. Okay, uh, I never use it, of course. Um, you don't love me, okay? And so eventually, Samson told her the answer, and she betrayed him, her husband, to his enemies. Okay, and then of course, in um, so so not not too good a judge of of character, lah, right? With women. Okay, then in Judges sixteen. We read about, of course, Samson and Delilah, okay? And you know, click. And you know, the character of Delilah has come to represent, even today, in songs and books and films, she, she appears in many, many songs, okay? Books, films. She, she represents a temptress, right? A lying and betraying woman. 
you know, a woman who's basically bad for you, and just look at her. She, she looks evil, right? She, she always looks like this kind of evil look, right? And, and we read that Samson fell in love with her. And so, the Philistine rulers bribed her to find out the secret of Samson's supernatural strength, right? Okay, so look at Judges 16, verse 6. Delilah asked Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. I mean, at this point, does this sound like romantic talk? Does this sound like, you know, the loving and, and sweet talk of love? What? Tell me how you can be tied up and subdued. I mean, the alarm bells should have gone off in Samson's head, right? Like, what is this woman up to? Okay? And, and I don't know, maybe it did because he, he just told her some rubbish. Okay, oh, you just, just tie me up with seven strong strings and that kind of thing, right? And then she let the Philistine man hide in her room and she tied him like what he said, and then she says, oh my gosh, Samson, the Philistines are here, right? And then, and where's Samson? Oh, breaks the strings easily, right? Now, then this, here's the weird part, okay? Here's the weird part. Now, after that happened, verse 10, Delilah says to Samson, Samson, you have made a fool of me. What? I mean, what, what, what is this? I don't know why the great fighter, the, you know, the lion-tearing great aggressor, Samson doesn't say, woman, number one, why did you tie me up? Number two, why were there men hiding in your room? Right? I mean, but, but we, 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 don't, we don't read anything of his reaction. We just read that Delilah just asked him again. Right? And okay, he tells us some rubbish again. He's like, oh, okay, if you use like new ropes, I will be, I'll be weak. And then the same thing happens. Okay, the men hide in her room. Uh, she ties him up and she says, oh my gosh, Samson, the Philistines are here. And then he breaks the ropes. And then again, she tells him, you have been lying to me. You have been making a fool of me. I mean, isn't that ironic? Like, who's lying to who? Right? And so there she is, like, you know, thanking Samson about, about lying to her. Okay? And then there's, there's one more cycle, okay? He tells her some rubbish, like, you know, you must weave the seven braids of my hair into... Uh, the loom or whatever and tighten it with a pin and it's, it's still rubbish but it's getting closer to the truth because it's closer to the secret, right? It's now, he talks about his hair. He's starting to cave, okay? And then the Bible says, while he was sleeping. Guys, don't sleep in the room of a woman who's not your wife. Bad things happen, okay? And then the same thing happens, the same cycle, right? Oh my gosh, Samson, the Philistines. And then Samson just like pulls up, the, you know, like no kick, right? He's just like, oh, what? Now, verse 15, Delilah says, How can you say I love you when you don't confide in me? It's the same thing, right? Same thing as the first Philistine woman. You don't really love me. Okay, it's the same thing. And verse 16 is the tragedy. Look at verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Guys, this is not a sermon about women nagging, even though... Okay, never mind. Okay, so Delilah nagged him and she pressured him until Samson was sick to death. Okay, other translations say that his soul was vexed death. He was annoyed and weary. He was worn out to death. He was sick and tired. His soul was reduced to mortal anguish. And he felt like he was going to die. He just, he couldn't thank it anymore. And you know, when you get into a bad relationship, it can suck you in and make you feel this way. And so she prodded him 
day after day until she couldn't stand it anymore. And friends, this is how temptation works. Okay, this is how temptation works if you don't cut off things that lead you into sin. Because Samson, I don't know why, he kept going back to Delilah. I mean, he should have known, right? This woman ambushed him three times. Three times the same thing happened. And yet, he kept going back to her house, sleeping in her room. He kept going back. And you know, every time I read this story, um, when, when I read stories, I like to shout at the characters inside. And every time I read this story where Delilah is obviously bad for him and she's obviously screwing with him, I'm like, dude, Samson, don't go there. Stop dating Delilah. Break up with her, bro. That girl is poison. Right? I mean, don't you feel that when you read it? You're like, no, why is he telling? Why are you, why are you still there? Why are you still in this crazy relationship? But, but you know what? He, he probably, I mean, three times. It's so obvious, right? So obvious that something is up with this woman. But he just refused to break off the relationship. And you know, it's very difficult to do the right thing when you are blinded by passion, emotion, and lust. And that's why people get caught in terrible relationships and stay there. That's why, so, you know, I don't know if you have friends who they are like in terrible relationships and you're like, dude, he's obviously bad for you. Like, she's obviously bad. And, but you're like, oh, well, you know, and, and they stay in that terrible relationship. And look at verse 17. This is, this is really, this, this, this is really sad, right? Because in verse 17, Samson finally, he finally tells her, okay? He tells her everything. He tells her that um, his hair has, has never been cut. And if you look at verse 17, I, I really, I wonder how Samson felt and what he was thinking when he told her and he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth, I have been a Nazarite. Here you are telling Delilah, the woman who's out to get you, because I am a Nazarite. He's set apart to God since birth all his life the Nazarite vow of purity, all thrown away for a woman who obviously didn't love him. Look at verse 19. Delilah, having put him to sleep on her lap. So just imagine this picture, okay? Click. Imagine this picture, okay? This is, this is Samson, the Nazarite, set apart to God since birth in, in, in such a compromising, inappropriate sensual or sexual posture. He's sleeping in the lap of a Philistine woman. And then she shaves off his hair. She shaves off his hair, his strength, his purity. And the Bible says, the Lord left him. Spiritual strength subdued by seduction. And of course, this time the Philistines got him. Right? They caught him, gouged out his eyes, put him in chains, sent him to prison. Now, the thing that we should take away from this story is not that women are temptresses and bad for you. Even though that may be true of some women, just as it may be true of some men. But think about who the ultimate tempter is. All the way back in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. Who is the father of lies, the ultimate deceiver, ultimate tempter? He will use anything, any lie, any deception, any temptation, anything 
to cause you, who have been set apart to God, to give up your purity and turn away from God. And the point in telling you the story is not to show you, it's not just to show you that bad relationships can really ruin your life, that, that bad relationships can really vex your soul and, and blur your good judgment and good sense. It can make you do stupid things. But the key thing I hope that you, you take away today, other than the approach that you know, we date with a view towards marriage, the key thing I hope you understand today is really the importance of purity, like the Nazarite vow that Samson took, that as you think about dating and relationships, you still keep your heart pure, you still keep this complete devotion to God. You're consecrated. You're holy. You're set apart. You know, the idea of holiness literally means to be set apart, separate. And a vow of separation from the world is what this Nazarite vow was, was really about. And Samson broke that vow of separation because of Delilah. But what is your Delilah? Whatever your Delilah is, whatever causes you to break your devotion to God, whatever causes you to compromise on your purity, whatever deceives you about the truth of God's plan for you and God's plan of holiness for you, don't go back. Don't go back to it. Break up with Delilah. Get rid of the Delilah in your life. And so as we think about dating, I want to end by asking us to think about the Nazarite vow, this principle of being set apart in holiness, purity, consecration, total dedication to God. How can we practice purity like the Nazarites? Now, I told you the Nazarites were very strict about what they ate, right? Their diet, no wine, no trace of grapes even. What is the relevance for us today? Yes, of course, we should think about the food that we eat because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But think about your, also your visual diet, like what you read, what you watch. Think about your oral diet, what you listen to. What are you feeding yourself about love and relationships and dating? Like who or what is shaping your perspectives on dating, on love and relationships? Is it Taylor Swift? Is it some TV show or some, some website or, or, or whatever? What, what is the source of influence when you think about dating and relationships and all that? Because if you want to pursue purity, you have to watch your diet. You have to watch what you feed yourself with on social media, in terms of your music, the voices that you allow into your lives. Is any voice louder and more dominant, more influential than the Word of God? And I'm not saying that you can't watch any secular movies or you need to delete all your secular songs and all that. Although if you do, you know, it's great. <laughs> um, which voice are you hearing the most? Is it the Word of God? Is it godly counsel? Or is it all just worldly perspectives on, on dating and relationships. And you know the Nazarites, they couldn't go near a dead body, right? Even if they're family, they couldn't go near it so that they would not be uh, ceremonially unclean. They were very careful about what they went near to in order to maintain a priority. Now, what kind of things do you go near to? What or who are we associated with? You know, if people look at your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Instagram or whatever, what would they associate you with? Who and what are the voices and the influences we primarily associate ourselves with? The one thing about purity, we need to think about our diet and our associations. I'm going to get Jabby to come up. Now, before you break into your groups, 
I want us to just bow our heads in prayer for a little while and spend some time thinking about all that has been discussed today. I know that this is not like a typical sermon, and trust me, bros, I had a really tough time preparing for this. But I believe that we, we, need, we always need to respond when the Word of God is preached. And you know, there, there, there's so much more that can be said about dating, okay? It can't all be contained in one sermon. Um, and especially when you actually begin, you're actually in a dating relationship, um, there's so much to be said. But today, we're focusing on what you should think about before you date. And the three main things I want you to take away is, number one, our perspectives on dating, on relationships, just like our perspectives on anything else, are they shaped by the Word of God or are they shaped by the world? Do we take reference about dating and relationships from the world, from the stuff we see on TV, on media and all that, or from the Word of God? Number two, that we date with a view towards marriage. It's not casual, it's not for fun. The purpose is to determine whether or not I'm going to get married. And so we date with a view towards marriage. And finally, let's focus on the pursuit of purity in our relationships. You know, I believe that if you make a commitment to purity and to the idea of marriage and to the idea of um, submitting to the authority of God in everything that you do before you actually start dating, it becomes a little bit easier to navigate a dating relationship. Because it's not about very specific standards like, oh, I'm not going to kiss or I'm only going to give side hugs or something. Right? It's, it's, it's about principles grounded in the Word. Principles of purity, the principle of glorifying God in everything you do, honouring fellow brothers and sisters, the principle of holiness, separation from the world. And maybe some of you here have already had experiences when you have compromised on purity. Or maybe you have gotten involved in a dating relationship that didn't go very well. But that's okay. I mean, there's, there's always grace and forgiveness in Christ and He makes all things new. But today, you can start to make that commitment to purity, to dating in a way that honors God and glorifies Him. And so I want to ask everyone to close your eyes and not look around and just spend some time just you and God and, and think about whether you can make that commitment to purity to honouring God in your relationships to date only with a view towards marriage and if that is a commitment that you're willing to make I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand it's between you and God you know if you are convicted that purity is important that dating is not just casual and purposeless, that you want to honour God in this area of dating, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Just raise your hand as a commitment to God. Not to anyone else. It doesn't involve anyone else. Just you and God. And if that is a commitment that you're willing to make, I'm going to pray for you. Father, I ask right now for a conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, you know that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. And God, we, we want to follow your standards because we are your followers. We want to pursue the purity that, that you, have, 
you have planned for us. God, we want to honour you in, in every aspect of our life, even when we date. And so God, would you come and give us a conviction towards holiness, consecration, purity, and your standards, even as we think about relationships and dating. So Father, you see the hands. God, you know that it, it, it's sometimes really hard in this sexed-up world where everything is, is really sexualized sometimes. But God, I pray that you, you set us apart, you guard our hearts, and you keep us holy, continually transform us and renew our minds, God. So Father, help us, help us, even as we seek to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about another hot topic. Please pray for me. Um, now we have about half an hour. Your CGLs will take over. I know that this is a topic that, that some people may have very strong opinions of or you may disagree or whatever. Um, now is a great time to ask questions in a small group. Okay, so um, we'll get in your CG. Just stay here in this hall. Okay, just find a, an, an area. Just stay here and your CGLs have um, been briefed. If you have questions, you can ask them. Or you can ask me and, and, and we'll have a discussion. Okay? Okay, CGLs, please take over. Okay, so just look for your CGLs, okay?